We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. And the Lakers fall in Game 5, 121 to 106, in what's emerging as a, a classic series, D. I can't wait to talk more about the adjustments. Uh, Golden State had a stellar performance from an emerging vector that they hadn't had as much before from the forward position. We'll talk about this a little bit more later. A physical game, probably the roughest whistle of the series for the Lakers. I'm going to give my thoughts on the refs later, I think, uh, in terms of like why I don't really talk about them very much. And I don't think that they're a huge factor in NBA games. But it was a physical game where Anthony Davis gets cracked in the head, as did a couple of other Lakers players. And he missed the end of the game with that. But it wasn't why the Lakers lost that game. That was a game where Golden State gets out to a good start in the first quarter. Lakers battle back and I'm like, all right, weathering the storm. I was really happy with most of the first half. And then like the last couple of minutes, they lose the rope. And that's what Golden State can do to you, right? Tough to win a game where you give up a 70 point first half, D. And so let's start there. Lakers in the first half give up 70. Golden State carbon us up. What do you see? First of all, Lakers went into game five with the same game plan they had in the second half of game four, right? And that game plan mostly worked, which was Anthony Davis on Andrew Wiggins and sometimes switching ball screens, sometimes not switching ball screens. Um, As the game got deeper into game four, the Lakers switched more and more and more. And it became a sort of an ISO heavy game where LeBron defending Steph a lot of times and then LeBron trying to target Steph a few times, and then AD, of course, having the monster stops at the end of game four to sort of secure the victory after Lonnie Walker was going offensively. This game, the Lakers start with AD on Andrew Wiggins again and sort of the same matchups, and Golden State had some tweaks. Some of the initial sets they were running was, okay, well, like, We know that we don't necessarily want to use Wiggins in on-ball screens a bunch because he is not the same short role player that gets their motion going. Mm -hmm. So what they started to do early on was use Wiggins as an off-ball screener, like for Clay and for Steph. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, okay, well, 
we're going to free our shooters up this way using this player. And AD, are you going to track all of these actions? Right, because one of their big goals overall is get AD out onto the perimeter because then we can get into the paint and score. Yeah, that's right. And so they can run actions with Draymond handling the ball or with Gary Payton handling the ball. And if the expectation is like, oh, well, we want to use these guys as screeners instead, but you're not going to guard them with the guy we want you to guard them with. Well, then we'll make that guy guard on the perimeter a whole different way. So I thought that was a nice little tweak that Golden State did. But what that also led to was then opening up offensive opportunities for their forwards. One of the things we haven't talked a lot on the pod, but I've been harping on this a little bit within our text thread, is that I thought the Lakers have really been advantaged by the fact that Draymond Green has not been looking to score yeah. at all. I mentioned yes. it on the pod the other day once, but we haven't really been hitting that point a fair amount. Let's hit that point. But because Draymond is such an integral offensive player for the Warriors, mostly because of his passing and screening and his ability to handle the ball and initiate offense from the forward or the center position. And things were around and he's such a sharp mind offensively and defensively, but offensively, he sees angles, he has great feel, and he just has great like processing speed and great recognition speed. He's and one then of the game geniuses, yes. And executing speed as well. Yep. Like he can play super fast yep. and make the right decision a lot. But one of the things he hasn't been looking to do is, well, the right play here actually isn't to pass it's to attack mm -hmm. offensively i've got a small dude on me they switched d'angelo russell onto me they switched austin reeves on to me dennis schroeder is on me and i'm looking to still like pass and screen and draymond changed up his mindset i thought and the two keys for the warriors offensively were that draymond being like you know what i can score 10 points in a quarter what are y'all going to do about that and the way in which he hunted those opportunities by playing fast all of the time fast. Yeah. I thought the pace that they played with, not only to get the ball into the half court and look for these opportunities, but the way they were just zooming all over the court in terms of yeah. running into their screening actions and sprinting off of the screens. I thought that pace really sped the Lakers defense up, Pete, yes. and it did not allow them to keep up. And, and so let's... Let's settle in on that point first, because I think the Lakers had some offensive stuff that I want to get to, but they lost this game on defense. Yes, I yes, especially in that first half. And so to stick with that point about the forwards, this to me is the biggest roster weakness of the Lakers of, of this new team is that if you think of it from a strength perspective and athleticism, D'Lo Austin and Dennis, who I think we're going to talk more about later. I think he becomes a more prominent player over the next couple of games. He was a plus 14 in a game we lost by 15, right? And that none of them are that strong, right? Like they're not great athletes. And so in a lot of the actions that you were explaining, and we've told, we've told so much of the story of like kind of how we get here, how we've gotten to this point in terms of so uh, in terms of the Warriors offense versus the Lakers defense, which is really, I think, the strength of both teams, although both teams are solid on the other end and the Warriors have obviously been a championship defense for years. But a lot of the place where all of this ends is like Wiggins on Austin, D'Lo on Draymond, like you said. Yeah. And just from a common sense point of view, I've wondered, like, are they going to just 
go right at those guys at one point? Because a lot of times Draymond will have the ball in the post and he's looking for the split cuts. He wants to pass, right? He's sitting there and he's got D'Lo on his back who is not a guy who really holds his ground particularly well, right? And then the other aspect of this that I've thought for a long time now, we have a chance of losing prematurely because we can't get a damn defensive rebound. Well, a lot of those are because the ball, they're a three-point shooting team, long shots, long rebounds. When you shoot at three, the average distance that it bounces out to is about the free throw line. And you see the ball bounce way up in the air, and then there's a whole scrum. We're trying, right? We got, but it's the scrum is Austin, D'Lo, Dennis, right? Trying yep. to jump with Andrew Wiggins and Gary Payton the second. And just and even LeBron at this point. This is somewhere where I think that in the spirit of LeBron being a shapeshifter, that he becomes super important is where I think we need to go smaller, which means we're going to really need LeBron on the boards. We're going to really need him on the defensive end. And so that's why, like, despite the lead, I don't think we expected to win last night, but I think that we're in some some degree of danger, right? Because I think that's a fundamental advantage that they have in terms of the strength and athleticism of Draymond and Wiggins that are going to be matched up against guys who don't have that enough to where that has me worried. Yeah. And this is where even Looney on some of the second unit stuff, right, where it's just like he Looney's been playing in the portion of the game a lot of times where there's a little bit of overlap when AD plays, but he's playing against LeBron and Rui a lot of times. And and that doesn't mean Looney's going to grab every rebound, but he's going to contest them. And the Lakers are going one of the strengths of the Lakers is playing in transition. They want to play in transition. They want to get it out and run. They'd love it if it was off of like live ball turn turnovers. And one of the reasons why the game was close early was because the Warriors were kicking the ball around yep. the court. Like they had five first quarter turnovers. If they don't have those those turnovers, then their offense probably runs smoothly. They get more shots up as well beyond just like allowing the Lakers to play in transition a little bit more. And so finding ways to rebound with this team. And remember, this is a good offensive rebounding team. It's how they won the championship last year. Like if you watch the Warriors run through the playoffs, it was like they play these small groups. How are they dominating the offensive glass against the Celtics, right? All these bigger teams, they're killing them on the offensive glass. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, And it's because like they run an offense where they're very well spaced and they allow guys to go to the offensive glass, right? And the guys who you don't pay attention to, the non-shooters, how many tap outs did Gary Payton II have, yep. right? It's because no one's guarding him. So he just has a free run. Right, it's like we're helping it's, off it, of him as a matter of strategy, right? So in terms of yes. box your man out, his man is 10, 15 feet away from him. And so he gets this whole run to the basket and he's a great athlete, yeah. Yeah, it's like the same thing that P.J. Tucker's done his entire career. Like, oh, you're not going to guard me and I'm going to run right from the corner and I'm going to contest rebounds. So the rebounding's a thing. The matchups are a thing. The switching's a thing. Like A.D. getting pulled out as much as he has been. The Lakers are going to need to find a better balance with that. He's going to need to be on the perimeter sometimes. He can't end up on the perimeter 65, 70% of the possessions. Like that's just not a winning strategy for the Lakers. If it's 50, 50, even that is too much. Like I can understand, like it needs to be more in the 30, 70 range or even like 40, 60. Mm -hmm. And then you might then still 
you're like, oh man, like he's getting pulled out a little bit too much. So I, I also think when he's, I also think when he's out there, I, I understand the fear of Steph, but when AD, when we're taking away Steph's three ball, he's such a great ball handler that he's going to zoom past AD or anyone else when we're really sitting on those step backs. And so that exacerbates the idea of AD is not in the paint. Like to me, there's, that's one of the tipping points in this conversation is like, the degree to which you live with Steph shooting a contested three versus carving you up by getting into the middle of the paint. Yeah. And that's why playing in the, like, this is still basically a drop coverage. Like they're hedging higher, yeah, it's high but drop, yeah. it's a high drop. AD is at the level. He's so tall though. And he's so long that it allows him to be at the level and still sort of be somewhat of a deterrent. The game that the Lakers won where AD was at the level and he had like 11 deflections, a lot of that was because guys didn't expect him to be that agile and that active at the point of Mm -hmm. attack. And that was probably his most active game at the level. It takes a lot of energy to be that active at the level and to take away angles that way. He hasn't been that good the rest of the games. It's not to say he's been bad. He just hasn't been as good at that. And that was a transcendent defensive performance. He had been in a high drop since the beginning. He moved up a little bit higher to get those on-ball deflections, to get those. And so there's a certain element yeah. of surprise that I, th- I think we got some things in our back pocket for game six that maybe we'll talk about later in this pod or tomorrow's, but that I, I that's part of it too, right? Is that like Golden State has had time to adjust to that. Yes, and this is the second game. So every single time the Lakers have carried over a game plan, they've lost. Yep. And what a treat it's been for Kurt to watch Kurt do his thing, right? Like they're deep into the sequence, man. Like I'm learning a ton watching this. There's a psychology of yesterday's game too, right? And and so we were watching um, the Knicks Heat game before Mm -hmm. the Lakers-Warriors game. And the Knicks are down 3-1. Miami has asserted themselves as the better team. They've actually looked like the team who have the best two players in the series, which has not been the case with the Warriors Mm -hmm. and uh, the Lakers. A lot of going into game five between the Heat and the Knicks, which was in New York. And so sort of last stand for for the Knicks was, well, if if the Knicks folded up shop here, it wouldn't be the craziest thing like that. The Heat are really good. They're super determined. They're very well coached on and on and on. But you had sent us a message saying like. Knicks are showing why yeah. it's hard to win on the road in game five, even when you're up 3-1 and you've proven yourself the superior team. And I would argue that Miami has shown themselves to be the superior team to a greater degree than the Lakers have over Golden State. These are the champs, man. Yes, Golden State is an excellent basketball team. And regardless of whatever the outcome is to this series, I think both sides have earned a massive amount of respect just for how well yeah. and how hard that they've competed. Let's go to break here, actually, because on the other side of this, I want to talk a little bit more about some of the adjustments. I want to talk a little bit about the Lakers and what they did offensively and start to talk a little bit potentially about game six. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, 
Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. One of the takeaways I guess I had from Game 5 was that the Lakers felt pretty comfortable trying to compete with the Warriors offensively. And for a fair amount of the game, they did it. LeBron was making his outside shot. AD was aggressive and scoring both from the mid-range and in the paint. Um, he was aggressive. Work, AD was aggressive working off of the dribble. Um, it was a good Dennis game. He was getting into the mid-range um, as a shooter and hitting his his mid-range shot. He hit a three early on in that first half. Austin, his shot wasn't necessarily falling as much, but he was aggressive. Um, and I like aggressive Austin Reeves regardless. And, you you know, D'Lo is still like not all the way there, but he's dealing with a difficult defensive matchup that when GP is on him, he is locking into him in, in a way where you could tell GP is not in a lot of help situations like his job is to make sure D'Lo doesn't get off and that he doesn't get space so what did you see from the Lakers offense in order to keep the game as close as it was until the Warriors started to separate and then even in the push that they made in the second half where it's just like hey we're not letting all the way go of the rope which I think a lot of that was led by Austin yeah, let's let's zero in on Gary Payton second, right? He was the last uh, lineup change that Golden State made. And Steve Kerr was asked about him last night. He was a plus 25. And these were Kerr's comments because I think it, ans- it starts to answer your question. Kerr says, Gary's a game changer and we knew that last year. We don't win the championship without Gary. So to get him back has completely changed our defense. Against these guys, he's got the ability to get into their guards. They have great guard play with D'Lo and Reeves and Schroeder. Obviously, obviously Walker last game played so well. And Gary gives us somebody who can get underneath their ball handlers and at least make them have to work. And then he describes their off, his offensive value later. But let's stay on GP2's defense. D'Lo had pretty good games two and three, right, prior when Jermichael Green was in the starting lineup. But that ball pressure, that GP2 is a guy who can get up underneath a team's ball handlers, I think has been a, has been something that's really stifled the Lakers offense and D'Lo in particular. And so that's part of the reason I think that there's a decent chance that Dennis starts for Vando in mm. the next game. And Vando may even be a DNP. We'll, we'll see. We'll see on that front. But I think part of the reason why Lonnie has looked good in this series and has like get, gotten opportunities, he only had four points yesterday, but he had a couple driving kicks for open threes and clean looks, is that a guy like GP2 can get underneath Austin and Dennis in particular, and there's a physicality to that that requires you have to meet force with force. So if a guy is really ball pressuring you, the way to beat that is to attack them. And it's sort of counterintuitive that when somebody pressures you, you want to back up. That's your natural reaction. But you have to have the athletic tools and skills, of course, to be able to do that. And so there was a play with Lonnie in the last game, in game five, that ended up with an open three, where I think it was DiVincenzo who was trying to get up into Lonnie. And 
Lonnie bounced off of it, and because of the ball pressure, he had the corner to turn. And Lonnie, as soon as he gets that, he's going to hit on hit the afterburners, and he did, and he drove to the basket. They rotated over to take away the layup, but then as he was flying out of bounds, he skips it over to the wing for a clean three. And I can't remember who made it, but but we knocked it down. And so that like that is part of the re- value that Dennis has offensively as well, is that ability like, oh, you want to get up into my jersey? You want to ball pressure me? And this is something Golden State's so good at, along with ball denial. You have to meet that with forceful players that neither D'Lo or Austin are, are that. And so they can be vulnerable to that type of ball pressure. And so that is what I saw in terms of the Lakers' offense. I think their ball pressure in particular, their ball denial, is really bothering our less athletic guards. Yeah, no, totally. I had a conversation with, with my... Um with my oldest daughter the other day and she's a very early stages of starting to play basketball. And when I would watch her and her other sixth grade um, team play for, for their school um, they don't have like the requisite like ball handling skills yet. And so they were getting, there was one team and it was very early in the season and they were just pressuring them and it was making all the kids like turn their back. Right. Yeah. And I was, there's this famous clip of Kobe, um, in his little home gym with Gigi and Gigi has the ball and Kobe is like standing like right up close to her. Right. And like basically mm-hmm. like smothering her and he's a massive human being. Right. And, and basically what he's telling her is like, and this is what you teach ball handlers, right? Like, like, okay, split the defender's legs with your own leg and That's step right. into them to create space. Use your and, head. Yep. Right. Use your shoulder, protect the ball, step in, get them off you and then basically and then rip through and then go. Right. Because and while those are like fundamentals and at the NBA level, like that's not the look guys give you necessarily. But it's that same idea of like, no, man, like leverage their pressure against them. They're up on you. Well, then run by them. And Dennis does have that. And Lonnie does have that. Austin and D'Lo, they need screen actions and then they want to play with you on their hip or on their back, right? They want to put you in jail. Like I said, they went to Big Guard University. And I'll be interested to see around what sort of screens the Lakers start to use in order to try to free up Austin and D'Lo when they're being defended by these ball pressure guards. Because the Lakers can't live in this world that's right where their two most important skill ball handlers are diminished by increasing levels of ball pressure this is part of my argument for starting dennis is that i think that the there's a couple different versions of this one that's a bigger version of us with Rui in the lineup but the other with dennis where a lot of the strategy is Go to the guy that's good at this that isn't being guarded by G- GP2. Like, yes. Steph's got to guard somebody, right? DiVincenzo's well, got to guard has, somebody. Well, even Clay Clay's has to guard. Yes. And so if that's Jared Vanderbilt, it's something where it's like, yeah, attack the weakness. Attack the weakest defender of that group. And can there be screens that you set for on GP2 to free up D'Lo? Probably. There are things we can do. I'm still learning from, from this series, right? But yeah. to me, it's like, I'd rather like, oh, Clay is on Dennis. Let's run a ball screen for, for Clay or let's let's make Clay stay in front of him type of thing. You know what I mean? Yes. No, totally. And and so this is where too, it's like if you look at the box score, you can see that LeBron and AD are able to 
if they play with force and 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 they play with a requisite amount of like I'm locked in and and for LeBron it's more like is my jumper falling for AD that matters too but to a lesser extent if mm-hmm. AD's jumper is falling he's impossible yeah if LeBron's jumper is falling it's just like well he's gonna score 20 plus points just because it's just like this is the shot that they're giving him and he's gonna be a perimeter player a bunch but the Lakers need a third or a fourth player in order to get them going. And it's so funny that we started this conversation talking about the Warriors forwards scoring, but for the Lakers, it's still going to come down to like, can their guards score? Right. Because, and these are sort of the quote unquote weaker units of both teams in terms of like offensive output. Wiggins is a good player. And he made an all-star game and he's a former number one overall pick. Like, I'm not trying to diminish Wiggins, but in the hierarchy of what matters within the scope of their offense, he's probably their third option behind Steph and behind Clay or some combination Mm -hmm. of Clay and Poole when Poole hadn't forgotten how to play basketball in its own weird, weird way. I thought he had a solid game yesterday. He he did. My wife was at the game last night, though, and she was commenting to me a bunch – last night in text and when she got home that the vibe around pool in the arena has sort of turned a little bit and like Mm. the sense of the fans is i don't know her read on it was like you can tell that they've turned on him a little bit and that his confidence isn't there And, and so i guess what i'm looking for from the lakers still is we talked so much about i think their tactical the tactical stuff that they need to do on on defense is pretty clear, like finding ways to get Anthony Davis into the positions where he can be more of an impact defensively um, mm. is super important to them. I just don't think we've talked enough or as much about like the tactical things they need to do offensively in order to get their guards going a little bit. And I, and. I actually don't have as many good answers there. Like I have better ideas around the defense, Mm -hmm. right? But I don't have as many good answers for the offense. Some of it is just like, well, you need to make shots. You need to create. Well, you know who the Lakers guard who plays with the most force is, is LeBron James, right? Like LeBron is the one player that he moves between all worlds offensively, whether it's as a big man, as a forward, as a guard. And so those are now... The way that they defend LeBron ball screens, I need to watch more tape on that specifically on how because we've been such a guard initiated offense from our, you know, Delos and Austin's that type of thing that there's not as much uh, reps on that. But the last couple of games, there's been more of that. And so do you see a way for LeBron to be the guard that helps generate the force necessary in this kind of context? I do. I do. But what's interesting is, is then who is the screener and what lineups are these happening in, right? And so one of the things that the Lakers were doing in their starting group with Vanderbilt on the floor is they were going LeBron AD pick and rolls and the Warriors were switching those. Yep. And they were putting Wiggins on to AD. AD was getting decent position on, on Wiggins affair, like most times. And then they were crowding him. It was the Memphis game plan basically which is like oh we're comfortable switching this wing onto you this bigger who this bigger wing who has some strength he's going to fight you for position and then we're going to crowd you and a lot of times the guy that they were running to crowd at him was the guy who was guarding Vanderbilt right and so yes 
so to circle back to your question about how can can the Lakers use LeBron more more as a guard? Yes, yes, they can. One of the things they're going to need to do, though, is I'd like to see them run some of the same screen actions for LeBron that they run for their skill guards, right? Which are double drag screens and your first screens with a guard, but your second screens with a big man. And then how do you navigate the wash, right? Because one of the one of the reasons why you run a double drag screen is to get the initial defender caught in the wash. So that that now, a guy lot of times c- that's going to be Draymond, though, that's one of the best ever at navigating that. Sure. Yes. And like, look, but no one's immune here, not from making a defensive mistake, but just from being wrong footed or a half a step out of position. And look, Draymond is so good that a half a step out of position means that he's still going to get to a position where he might just foul you because Mm -hmm. he's still in the play enough to make an impact on the play. And this is where, too, man, it's just like. We are now at the stage of the series where as much as we talk about tactics, too, it's just like there's not too many more tactics to actually deploy. Like I, I the, think you're right about that. The Lakers might have like one more card to play defensively. Yep. They might have one more thing to do offensively. The Warriors just did that some. But really, their big shift offensively was just like, hey, Draymond, like you're actually open. Yeah, go score. Maybe try, maybe try to go score here instead that's not some tactical shift he's that's been there all series yeah he, he just hasn't been doing it so their forwards ability to score or to hunt shot opportunities that that feels like a concern with a fair yeah. amount of like considering yeah. behind it right like like oh I, we need to think on this and have plans for this i think the way to mitigate it is lebron being amazing and ways that require him to be amazing athletically. I was watching his 47-point performance on his birthday this year, the great mini-movies that Josh and Roe and Khalil have been knocking out, right? And we did a mini on that. Um, and I was watching, and the way that LeBron was moving athletically is such a stark difference where yes. the, the basic point of this is, is like a lot of for a lot of minutes, we're going to have guys like Dennis, Austin, and D'Lo in the game in crucial moments. They're not the best athletes, and they're going up against a couple of great athletes in guys like Andrew Wiggins, uh, Gary Payton II, even a guy like DiVincenzo, one of the best offensive rebounding guards in the league, right? And so there's a lot of like jump with this guy type of thing that if LeBron James was right, even if even earlier in the year, he would be able to get those. And in his best games in these playoffs, he has done that. He had the first 20 rebound game of his career in these playoffs, right? Yeah. So it's there. That to me is like the resolution to that. These these forwards are scoring too much is both on the boards, but also a level of meeting. For, can LeBron generate a certain degree of that force? And one of the, the complicating factors is that both Vando and Rui present problems, Vando on offense and Rui on defense, defense. that make it difficult to keep them on the floor, particularly when LeBron and AD are on the floor. And so both of them are probably fours offensively or fives in Vando's case. But the so, for example, the Rui, LeBron and AD combo, AD, the three man lineup of that Mm -hmm. has a defensive rating of like 134 in their minutes. And and it makes sense. It's like Rui is not built to chase around on the perimeter the way that guarding Golden State requires. And so his best minutes have been the groups with 
AD on the floor, but LeBron not on, on the floor, or LeBron on the floor and AD is not. But in the playoffs and in a game six where both guys are probably going to play 40-something minutes, I think there's a sensitivity there where it's like, oh, we're getting bullied by the Golden State Warriors forwards. Let's size up and put Rui in there that causes another problem on the defensive end of him chasing guys around. And so to me, the guy that is that can stay on the floor on both ends of the floor and can provide the requisite degree of force at the forward position is LeBron James in ways that like, if, if he can even just help neutralize that a bit, we have advantages in other places that are a big part of the reason why we have three wins at this point. Right. So I don't want to sound all doom and gloom about it, but to me, a big question is what can LeBron do physically in a lot of ways? That's what these playoffs were always going to be about. Having LeBron James and Anthony Davis on your team is good. And these are the, the game that's coming up is one of prime example games in which you would want those two guys on your team on both sides of the ball. And so much of this is going to be stripped down to just like, can your best players play like they're the best players? And if they can, then you're going to be put in a good position to win. Mm-hmm. And if you can't, then or if they can't, then you're going to have problems like I think that we've run out of the games where someone else is going to win you a basketball game, right? I think maybe Wiggins and Draymond have another great performance, maybe, right? But my sense is like Steph's had a great game. Steph's played great in every game, but I'm just saying like the games in which the Warriors have won, I I can't remember. It might have been um, so game two was like the clay game, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But Steph had like 13 assists or something like that. Yes. But then the game where anyway, you get my gist is is that both teams now are basically going going to come down. All all right. Well, do the stars have one more game in them? And LeBron is going to be critical in that. Before we go, you had mentioned earlier that you might touch on like the physicality of the game. I'll wrap up with with this. So, yeah, I thought we got a rough whistle last night, Um, but And this is part of we were talking before the pod and just sort of like broader societal beliefs and political beliefs and things like that. Like it's important to be able to lose and not blame some outside external conspiracy for the reason why you lose. And part of my argument for this in basketball in particular is I would argue that basketball is one of the least affected sports uh, by the referees. And my rationale for this is it's the highest scoring for one. These are games that are 121 to 106 like last night and that singular events and possessions impact a game less than in other sports. I think the most extreme example of this is soccer where if somebody takes a dive in the goalie box, right, and they draw a a, a whistle from the ref, that's a penalty kick. And so in this very low scoring sport where there's only, what, three goals probably on average in that there's this one event where you get a penalty kick, which I think that has like a 75% success rate, sure. which is like literally like 70 times better than any other shot you're going to get in, in the sport, right? And it's such a low scoring sport that in terms of did that play impact the overall results of this game, that's the most extreme example of which I think basketball is on the other side of, of it, right? And so that's something that I thought Draymond got away with a decent amount. Guys are getting cracked in the face. Of course, I want those sorts of whistles, but the reason why we lost that game is not the refs. And it shouldn't be the first or most prominent thing that's focused on. I know we were we were bitching about the whistles in the text thread. Nope, no doubt. But I'm curious your thoughts on that idea of referee influence on NBA games. 
Well, I came up at a time, some of my sensibilities around this come from Kurt Heelan, who ran Forum Blue and Gold before I took it over. And one of the things that Kurt used to always say is, don't complain about the refs, like basically like put yourself in a better position to win, mm-hmm. right? And it's just like, you don't win and lose the games because of the refs, like you win and lose the games because of all of these other factors. And like, there are some circumstances where a one missed call does matter, like the fact that LeBron didn't get that call at the end of the Celtics game, for for example, where he was clearly fouled and mm-hmm. the refs missed it. But missed calls happen. Yep. Austin Reeves said something too, where it's just like, look, I'm not going to complain about the refs, like... It's like I miss a jump shot. Okay, I miss a jump shot. The refs can never miss a call. It's 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 yeah. like there's a certain amount of like like the players, no player is going to be perfect. And so the refs aren't going to be perfect either. My whole thing is is what I've always looked for from referees is consistency on what is a foul and what is not. And if that's clear to both sides and it's enforced the same way for for both sides, I'm mostly going to be fine. If there's this vast difference between how how one side is being refereed versus one other side is is being refereed, I'm going to call that out because I think that it's it's an impediment to the game and being fair. And ultimately, what I'm looking for within the basketball context is for what LeBron has said, which is the game's going to be decided between the four lines, and we want that to be the purest version of the game that we can find. And the referees are going to play a part in that, and I think they need to facilitate a clean and well-played game to the best of their abilities, and you want them to have a certain amount of, of control around the game with out inhibiting the play of the players and it's a fine line and refereeing is super hard my whole thing is though is like i just don't necessarily like blaming the refs or complaining about the refs in general like too much like the point that you're making there's like a hundred possessions in in a basketball game for each team there's like 200 total yeah yes yes And, and so for me, I'm just like, all right, man, like you miss some, you miss some. It's like I thought Steve Kerr says, said it well a couple of game games ago where he basically said every coach during every game is going to have some calls that they don't like. Guess what? Like that's that's basketball, right? The gamesmanship and all of that other stuff around like, oh, they're flopping or we're flopping or oh, yeah, we don't teach flopping do whatever or I they teach can flopping. to work the reps and all that. Yes, like, yeah, that's, just, that's part of the job. Yeah, please. It's just like we watched Phil Jackson coach a basketball team for how many years? How many times did he <laughs> play that card? Like he played that card all of the damn time. I'm not going to be a, a hypocrite around coaches saying saying that sort sort of thing. So for me, I guess my long winded answer is like. I just wish we saw less of that. The discourse around the game too often is like, well, the ref sucked or the coach sucks. And it's just like, rarely are those things actually true? Like from my perspective, rarely are those things actually true. And like the players so often decide, Pete. And it's just like, I thought the Warriors played an excellent basketball game. They beat us. And, and they won. And good for them. Right. The Lakers are going to have a chance to play their own excellent basketball game on Friday. And I hope that it's enough to win the basketball game so that they can then go on to the Western Conference Finals. I'm tired of all the ref BS. The gamesmanship is like both funny and annoying at times. It's just like there's so much uh, 
hypocritical stuff that gets said when you're working over the refs for the thing that your own player does. Do I see Dennis Schroeder grift? Hell yeah, I do. I see yeah. Austin do it too. Just like I see Jordan Poole and Steph and everyone else grift. It's just like everyone grifts. It's just like that's the way of the game. You're trying to get advantage. Yeah. I'm just tired of blaming everything on, just like you said, the external factor stuff. It's just annoying. It's it's just like, watch the game. Tell me what you think about the game. And if you can't tell me what you think about the game, then it's just like, I'm not going to listen to you, honestly. Yeah. Lots of, lots of stuff around the discourse around the game right now is. <laughs> so one last thing. Good health, best of health. Yep. To Anthony Davis. He got hit in the head. He was not feeling well in the immediacy after that. The reports around the team were that he was starting to feel feel better. There were some reports this morning that hopefully he's going to play, and I hope that that's the case. And so I just wanted to say that because we mentioned it at the top that he got hit, but we didn't do any real follow-up around that. We yeah. don't, we're not breaking news here. We don't know what's going to happen. I'm just saying best of health to AD first on a personal level, but on a second level, because, you know, the Lakers need him to be the best version of themselves as a full team. All right. We'll be back tomorrow to discuss more of game six. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot, the NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it! Unbelievable. Victory. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yeah. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.